Hello, I'm Michael O'Toole, Crime Correspondent with The Star, and welcome to another episode of our podcast focusing on the current trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. Now, just to recap, as we do at the start of every episode, uh, Mr. Hutch is on trial at the non-jury special criminal court in the CCJ complex in central Dublin. He is charged with the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in north central Dublin on the 5th of February 2016. That's a charge he denies. Two men are are on trial alongside him. Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are not charged with the murder of David Byrne. Instead, they are accused of helping a crime gang carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Like Mr Hutch, they deny the charge and all three are now on trial. Joining me now to discuss yet another interesting day in which uh, Chief Witness Jonathan Dowdall gave his evidence is the Star's Chief Reporter Paul Healy who was in court today. Hello Paul. Hello Mick. Another great day. Yeah, I mean, today, I think, for me, was the most dramatic. Uh, Certainly, it it took a while for us to get to some of the more interesting and dramatic points, but when they happened, they really, really hit home. I mean, I think Brendan Grehan, senior counsel for Mr. Hutch, Hutch, uh, he really challenged Jonathan Dowdall today. He really grilled him, and Jonathan Dowdall as well was very lively uh, and and was trying to get his points across. uh, you know, really strongly. I mean, he was really quite irate um, and wanted to get uh, across several things. We'll get into it, but Jonathan Dowdall had a number of points that he clearly wanted to get across today. Uh, and before things ended today, he wanted to make sure that he said them. And would you consider, or just from the outside, was today uh, his most confident day? Was he at his most confident today than the previous days? Yeah. I would say definitely he appeared uh, very confident, but as I said, he was somewhat, um, he was still somewhat agitated. Uh, he was annoyed about certain questions he was being asked, and he would say things like, "You know, I, why are you asking me that, and where are you leading me with this?" He he, he appeared more confident when when there were particular items that he wanted uh, of interest that he wanted to get across but yeah certain questions seemed to really bug him and and he he would kind of get a bit shouty and a bit uh tempered i don't know why you're asking me this and and stuff like that um so i i (laughs) he was just (laughs) he was just louder i think and and um you know frustrated i would say at the line of questioning for sure Right, can we, before we talk about the evidence itself, there was a very interesting uh, incident involving uh, an illicit recording of the evidence. I believe it may have been yesterday. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many twists and turns in this case. We keep saying it. And every time that we sit in that courtroom and, and things begin for the day, you wonder what's going to be heard now. And there were a couple of uh, whispered tones going around the courtroom when we got in. I saw an exchange between the prosecution counsel, Sean Gillan, and the defence counsel um, in relation to something. And, and there was kind of concern on their faces. And we, we knew even before things got started that, that there was some sort of an issue that was going to be raised. Um, so we heard then that yet there had been an issue yesterday where somebody was filming illegally uh, the court proceedings uh, in some capacity. And the prosecuting counsel, Sean Galland, said that it was un- his understanding that it appeared to be someone was filming it from the overflow court. So we mentioned there is an overflow court for members of the public and anyone that's interested in seeing the trial are sitting in another courtroom watching the proceedings uh, on a on a on a screen so they can hear everything but they're not in the same courtroom um, and it appears as though uh, and we found out subsequent to this uh, that there are clips going around someone told me that they're i won't name the social media platform but they're on a particular social media a very popular social media platform um these videos um so miss justice tara burns said she was extremely surprised by this um and she issued a very stern warning uh, to anyone that is coming to this case and attending this case that um it is against the law to film or record these court proceedings any court proceeding and anyone caught doing so uh, is liable uh, to be prosecuted it's a criminal offence and she said it was highly likely that this would now probably be the subject of a guarded investigation um 
She also said, if anybody saw anything of that nature, if you see somebody filming, if you see somebody recording, she wanted them to immediately come into the courtroom and inform her of this. Uh, she was she was very upset about it. She said, I won't preside over a trial where anything of that nature occurs. And there is a very strong indication that it did happen in the overflow court. And I'll tell you why. Um, you and I, as journalists, you know, we can bring our laptops and our phones into the main court. Uh, the special criminal court itself but I, I, it was interesting when I was going in the other day uh, civilians or ordinary people I suppose if you want to call them that they had to hand over their phones and I know that one, uh, one lad who was in was asking us well you know how come we had to give our phones in and you, you guys didn't so you know I, I would I would hope it's not a member of the media who was doing this so you know the indications would be that it was from the uh, overflow uh, court but I just can we just talk about um, recording because it, it, it's it's a complete nightmare. Look, you know we ha- we have shorthand. I have shorthand. Most journalists in the court are using their their keyboards to type. But there is there is there's always this sort of myth that journalists secretly record court hearings. Now I wouldn't do that for an ethical reason. But the other reason why I wouldn't do it is because I, I know I'd get caught. I know I'd put on you know my my recording device and it would automatically play back or something. So you know, and I'd go beetroot and I just go red because I think everybody was looking at me. So I'm obviously a very ethical journalist, but I'd, I'd be afraid of getting caught. But uh, but I do remember uh, I was in court in County Meath t- almost twenty years ago at a high profile case, and I was just sitting there writing away and you know using my shorthand. And suddenly the journalist beside me stood up and the judge got stuck into him, right? And it was, I, was, I was concentrating on my notes and it's, it was sort of over by the time I realised what was happening. Uh, and, he, and, he, and he sat down and he was very ashen-faced and I said, what the hell was that about? I whispered to him, what the hell was that about? And he went, oh, I was recording the case. So there have been journalists who have recorded cases just you know, maybe because they don't have shorthand or whatever. But, you know, I, I mean, it's a big no-no. It's a massive no-no to, to, to record because, you know, Firstly, it's wrong, but if you're you're caught, you're banjoed and you're ghosted. So, well, somebody's going to be in trouble if the if the guards do investigate and if they do uh, find out who it is. But anyway, so on to the the, the evidence itself. Uh, so I would just say, Mick, on that point, that I, that I think perhaps the public are somewhat ignorant to the law on that, or or maybe ignorance the wrong word. I mean, it, to be fair to people who are not familiar with the court's process, they might not the average Joe so might not be fully aware. Um, but now they've been made aware that, that that you may well be committing a crime by recording the proceedings. I even had somebody message me asking me, you know, how come you're able to live tweet everything, but you can't record it? Well, it's just the fact that, you know, yeah, look, you can report it, but you cannot record it. Um, and, and that's just the case. But yeah, let's move on to the evidence because we've got a lot to talk about again. OK, so what, what was up first? Yeah, well, I mean, there were two issues, sorry, raised. First was what we just talked about there, uh, about this filming, but there was also a concern that Jonathan Dowdall apparently wanted to talk to his solicitors. This is the first thing that Brendan Gretton asked Jonathan Dowdall about, um, you know, what's your issue? Uh, Jonathan Dowdall said, oh, it wasn't a big deal. He needed to talk to his solicitor because something was raised yesterday uh, about a psychology report uh, for him, and he said he hadn't access to that, he hadn't seen it. Um, well, Brendan Gretton said, okay, right, well, are you ready to proceed? And I just thought this is, it might seem like a small thing, but I remember Jonathan Dowdo quite clearly going, oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, I'm ready, you know. And I think only when the, yeah, well, only as the, the day went on and, and, and with the things he was saying and the way he was behaving, I certainly felt like today was the day that Jonathan Dowdall, um had a number of things in his head that he knew by the end of the day I'm going to get this out and I'm going to say it so yeah he was confident on that front it took a while to get there but but certainly there were things uh, that that he wanted to say so we got back into where we kind of left off yesterday uh, Brendan Grehan was kind of trying to find out um, in relation to Jonathan Dowdall coming forward to the Gardaí and when he came forward to the Gardaí and and why and what his motivation for that. And several times today he was challenged that you came forward to the Gardaí on the 29th of November 2021 because you wanted the murder charge against you for the murder of David Byrne dropped. Uh, like a lot of things, I don't want to linger on this too much, but Jonathan Dowdall takes a while to get to the answer. He wasn't answering the question. Uh, it was put to him several different ways until he ultimately accepted that, yes, I did want the murder charge dropped. Because his point was, 
I didn't murder David Byrne. I wasn't involved in the Regency. So yeah, of course, I wanted the murder charge dropped. And he said that a number of times. And then I think later in the day, um, you know, there was an issue, a question put to him in relation to um, you would give evidence today on the condition you dropped the uh, the murder charge was dropped. Um, so it's put to him several different ways and he ultimately accepted it to a certain degree. So that's very, very interesting because Brennan Graham clearly wanted to nail him down on that point that you wanted that murder charge dropped uh, before you were willing to um, talk about Jerry Hutch and his alleged involvement and make all the allegations that he's now making uh, on the stand. I think a lot of people might be surprised that a, a, a politician or a former politician doesn't answer the question. <laughs> um, I, I think this is the one thing just in covering this uh, I, for me personally and, and others, certainly it is frustrating to report on what Jonathan Dowdall says, especially when you're live tweeting, because he says something. Um, and he says something then that might maybe contradict what he's just said. Uh, it's not so much that he's, um, because he, he insists that he's not lying. Um, it's not so much that he's telling Porky, so to speak. It's just he says something and then kind of corrects himself, you know. So, like, look, we all do that. We say something and then we, we, we kind of clarify it. And there were a number of times he sort of did that. Um as I said, I don't propose to go into them all, but that just made it a little more difficult to to uh, to cover exactly what he was saying. But we got into, um, you know, why did it take you six and a half years to tell the truth? Mr. Gretton said to him, you know, is there something else you were looking for? Uh, he, he put it to him, your motive was to speak to the guards was to have that murder charge dropped. And he said, of course, I was trying to get the murder charge dropped because I wasn't involved uh, in a murder. Um he said, well, then it was only then that you put Jerry Hutch in the frame. You know, before that, it was all Patry, Patrick Hutch uh, Sr., Patsy Hutch. Your whole story was Patsy Hutch. Uh, and now suddenly you're saying you met Jerry Hutch in the park and he allegedly confessed to you. You're saying that you and your father handed over the hotel card key to Jerry Hutch. Um, and he was putting it to him that it's convenient that now that you are having your murder charge dropped, that you're pushing Jerry Hutch into the frame. And Jonathan Dowdall was quite uh, vehement in his denial of that. And he said, it wasn't me that put Jerry Hutch in the frame. He said, Jared Hutch put himself in the frame. Um, but again, Brendan Graham fought him back on that. Well, no, uh, the only person, the only person's word we have that Jerry Hutch was involved at all is yours. It's your say so, isn't it? That's all we have. And Jonathan Dowdall acknowledged, yeah, it is only his word that we have. Um to prove the case, at least in relation to the meeting in the park. Now, he again insisted when it comes to the time where he says he met Jerry Hutch with his father and they handed over the, the hotel keys for the Regency Hotel, he says his father can corroborate that. He says his father is willing to give evidence before the court, but he hasn't been called to date. Um, and he says that he's willing to do so. That hasn't really been, I mean, Mr. Gretton hasn't indicated whether he wants to call Patrick Dowdall. Um, maybe he will uh, by the end of this. Um, but just and again, it, it could still be open. Sorry, it's still open because it's still a, the the prosecution case, so it's still open for Sean Galan, the state prosecutor, to call uh, Mr. Dowdall Senior. But as you say, there's been no indication. And I think that's one of the things about this case. You know, we don't get witness lists. We don't. We're not told what's happening. You know, from from minute to minute. It's just whatever witness comes up. So, you know, Mr. Dowdall Senior could be waiting in the wings. We we just don't have a clue, really. I suppose. No, we don't. But um. Again, just on this subject of, you know, you're saying it's all Patsy Hutch. Uh, Mr. Grattan says it's Patsy, Patsy, Patsy all the way. And then uh, you insert uh, uh, Mr. Jerry Hutch into the narrative. And, and Dowdall said something very curious here, uh, and it stunned us. It was our line in the morning when we put the copy up online, because he said, um, no, you know, your client is willing to throw his own brother under the bus, he said. Um, he said the Hutches... The Hutches uh, were willing to, 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 he was referring to Patsy Hutch uh, in this uh, particular case, and he was alleging that Jerry Hutch was willing to throw his own brother, brother Patsy under the bus uh, in, rather than taking any kind of blame for anything himself. Um, that was quickly brushed off by Mr. Graham, who said no one's trying to throw anybody under the bus. Um, and, and we kind of moved on from there. We kept getting to that you know Mr. Graham wanted to pin him down on you know you wouldn't be here today until you had that murder charge dropped um 
and there uh, there is a specific quote later on where he where he just made that statement. He said, "Well, you're you're only here today because you had your murder charge dropped." And Sean Galan, the prosecuting counsel, actually got up quite dramatically at this point and and made a sort of an objection to that and said, "Well, no, that's not really a question, and that's actually very unfair." He said, um, "So you know, look, this is a huge." Um, piece of uh, contention between both sides uh, that Jonathan Dowdall is only speaking because he was able to save himself from potentially a life sentence in prison um, now he's going to get up and he's going to say anything um, perhaps that the state wants him to say uh, because look he, he got off on a murder charge um, that's something Dowdall continued to deny and deny and deny uh, and that may on. go to Sorry, that might go to, we don't know, but, you know, the way you're explaining it, that might go to a, an argument by the defence in their closing speech about the credibility of Mr. Dowdall that really, look, you know, he's only doing this to save his own skin. But, you know, I'm, we're, we can only speculate, but obviously if, if Mr. Gretton, who's one of the top barristers in the country, if he's making an issue of this, there's a reason why he's making an issue of it. Yeah, I mean, look, he made an issue of it just even in terms of when Jonathan Dowdall was charged with murder, he managed to get bail. And, you know, Brendan Gretton is arguing to him, well, you know, you were charged with a serious offence and yet the cops didn't object. Jonathan Dowdall, again, very uh, vehement in saying his understanding was there were objections to his bail. Uh, but it's a matter of court record that there were none. Um, Jonathan Dowdall keeps saying that there was objections in relation to him possibly being a flight risk. Uh, it was repeatedly put to him that that wasn't the case. In every single element of Jonathan Dowdall's evidence today, there were a lot. Uh, there was a lot of fight back, and a lot of I would say maybe uh, I'm trying to find the right word mitigation of his actions, uh, minim- minimization of his actions. He had an explanation for everything, and it was always. I didn't intend to do this or that isn't the case. And and eventually, you know, that was put to him that you are minimizing your role in all of this. Uh, again, something that, that, that he completely denies. So as I say, I just propose to go on to, you know, he, he was going to be challenged on specific elements of the tapes, the 10 hour tapes and things that he actually said on the tapes. Uh, and I think this is very interesting because there's something we didn't think of. As you know, uh, Mick, uh, Jonathan Dowdall supposedly identified Patrick Hutch Jr. from the Sunday World picture. This is a picture of a gunman in drag and flat cap who we now know to be Kevin Murray running out of the Regency Hotel uh, after the attack. It was published in the Sunday World, um, I think two days later. Um, but supposedly Jonathan Dowdall was able to identify Patrick Hutch uh, and said uh that he was the gunman in drag. Um, it was put to him today, this is very interesting, that, well, actually, at that point in time where you supposedly identified him, that photograph was pixelated. So how could you possibly tell it was Patrick Hutch? Um, and he says, well, no, uh, Jerry Hutch told me in the park that it was Patrick Hutch, and Jerry Hutch knows who was involved in the Regency. Um, so, so he was able to identify who it was and he was challenged on that. No, you have said previously that you independently identified Patrick Hutch from that photograph. So you didn't just get that from Jerry Hutch. Um, it was kind of just left there, but you know, there was a statement from Dowdall where he said that he had independently identified that photograph. Um, but now he was saying another thing that he had heard it from Jerry Hutch, so as I said, he says one thing and then he kind of clarifies it as another thing later. I just think that's interesting. Again, Patrick Hutch isn't on trial. He did previously go on trial for the Regency Hotel murder and there was a null prosecution in that. Um, and it was in relation to that ID of the photo. Yeah, as identification know. was a major issue. I, I remember actually the Sunday World, they did. I think it was pixelated, but look, when we've spoken about this and not... Was that photograph? Did somebody get their hands in the photograph? Was it doing the rounds? I, 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 I maybe it was just amongst. I, I was. I don't know if it was in the public domain. But I, you know, didn't we? I discussed this with a colleague. Sorry to interrupt you, Mick, but I did discuss this with a colleague earlier. When did that leaked photograph come out? And we think it was actually later in February, uh, of that year, a um, Twitter account. Uh, put up a photograph unpixelated photograph uh, and we don't know how they got their hands on that um but that was that was later in february so that doesn't explain um Jonathan Dowdall saying that he 
recognized the photo he would have only been able to look at the pixelated photo um at the time that he said he met jerry hutch which was the monday after the regency that's a good point because and look i mean there are so many things have happened and it was such a chaotic time back then but i do remember that there was definitely an unpixelated version floating around you know and it, it wasn't months after the regency it was a relatively short time we'll put it that way yeah, I mean, I look. That was a serious concern at the time. Obviously, that photograph was taken by a press photographer, and somehow someone got their hands on it and leaked it uh, onto social media. I don't know if the answer as to who was responsible for that ever came out. Um, but moving on from that, just as I say, we got into the tapes and some of the things that Jonathan Dowdell said on the tapes. We mentioned yesterday uh, about a Kinahan cartel member um, and a bomb being placed. Uh, at his home uh, that individual is trevor byrne uh spoken about today uh how john the dowdall says he was going to uh be he, he would be able to place an explosive device at the home of trevor byrne today he says it was all nonsense well brendan grahan said well you were clearly saying on the tape you were clearly very um you know you appear to be going into great detail and suggesting that you were planning on placing a bomb at a man's home and you and you were going to kill him uh, and Jonathan Dowdall says, no, it was all, it was shite talk. He said, nothing happened. It was bravado. Um, there was never any intention to do anything. Again, in that same vein of what he's already said, that he was trying to impress Jerry Hutch and that he was talking nonsense. As, he, as we know, he's now explained that he apparently was on pills at this time and he wasn't himself. Um, you know, look, that's again, it challenged throughout the day today about you say all these things and now we're supposed to dismiss them as lies. You know, so why really believe what you're saying now? How do we know what's truth from lies if you're going to dismiss everything you previously said as lies? Again, this falls into the category of Jonathan Dowdall minimizing things he said and done. Uh, he, he does it frequently. Everything that he has done in the past, he ha- he now has a, let's say, a new um, a new explanation for or or new clarification for. We don't know the full facts around literally anything. He's now explaining it. Um, for the first time in many ways. Um, It's going to be up to the judges to ultimately decide what they're taking from Jonathan Dowdall, maybe as fact and maybe what they're going to discount. Um, I would say that that there was a lot of frustration with Jonathan Dowdall, even from Miss Justice Tara Burns. Just uh, at one point she interjected as as in relation to something he said um, in relation to, you know, he wouldn't be here uh, today had the had the charge be dropped i'm paraphrasing it but it was kind of put to him that no that's not the case you know it was explained to him that something that you're saying is is not factual but anyway he was allowed to move on from that um i think he was just quite excited at times to questions he was being asked he would go on for long periods of time and um, you know mr grehan would would say to him are we going to get another monologue from you now um he would ask him a question and then he would say well you're not actually answering the question um and it went on like that uh, you know and and this is what he says about the tape as well that he was just talking crap he says so i'm sort of getting the sense that you know today was his day not settling scores but he was going to get things off his chest maybe the last two days he's been on the back foot but he thought right this is my chance and then going for it and even what you said about the psychology report he meant oh yeah that does indicate a sort of level of I'm ready for this yeah absolutely he just you know and again we'll come to it later on he got to say certain things but Again, he was challenged about things. Dowdall said, as you know, you listen to these tapes, Dowdall is bragging a lot and says a lot of very, you know, outlandish things. Um, And he speaks about an incident where his uncle's home was shot up, uh, indicates that he maybe had some involvement in that. Now, today, he's dismissing it, said he had no involvement in that at all. And he said it was something that happened years ago. Mr. Graydon said to him, well, does it really matter how long ago it happened? And then he kind of dismissed... The torture incident, the waterboarding incident with Alex Hurley again, um, Mr. Grattan accused him of, of, you know, this is another one. You want to run away from us. He said, you want to run away from your responsibility and your uh, history in relation to crime in the past. Um, Dowdall again got frustrated about this and said, you're honing in on specific things on the tape that suit you. Uh, you know, and there's a, it's a whole 10 hour tape and you're just picking out little things that suit you 
and your narrative. And, and as I say, this is what I said to you earlier. Dowdall kept getting frustrated by the line of questioning. Where are you going with this? Where are you going with this? And the judge interjected and said, it, Mr. Dowdall, you don't have to worry about where Mr. Grehan is going with this. He's going to ask you the questions and you answer them. You don't need to constantly ask him where he's going with this. You can ask him whatever he wants. And Dowdall, I suppose, can answer it whatever way he sees fit. I know I was just going to say and it's important also to state look obviously Sean Galan at the start of the of the uh, in his his direct examination of Jonathan Dodo you know he didn't play the whole tape to him he asked him about specific parts of the tape so you know he wanted to know about specific parts and it's and by the sounds of things Mr. Grehan wants to know about to ask about specific parts as well yeah I mean that's the normal course of things in a trial I suppose I mean I guess Jonathan Dowdall was frustrated because he'd be asked a question it might not look like it was leading in any particular direction and so he he was anytime he was asked something that seemed a bit out there he got frustrated because he was I as I said he came to court appearing to have things in his head that he was ready to say and he wasn't able to get to them because he was being asked questions about this that the other he was not prepared I would say for some of the things that he was asked he was prepared later on for sure but uh, there were there were certain things he was being asked here he just seemed really uncomfortable about and confused where are you going with this he kept saying we had little breaks today. Thank God there was a break here, I think. And we kind of came back then. Um, and then Brendan Graham really started to grill Jonathan Dowdall about his Republican connections. Uh, he wanted to know how and when did you get involved with these uh, Republican dissident figures? Um, he really wanted to drill down as to Jonathan Dowdall's connections. I think we've talked about this before, that there were two or three occasions now where Dowdall has said that he didn't know anybody. In spite of the fact that Patsy Hutch asked Jonathan Dowdall to try and intervene and prevent the feud, stop the feud, sorry, by going up north and talking to people he supposedly knew, Jonathan Dowdall again um, minimises this a bit and says he didn't really know anybody. Again, he says the same thing today. He didn't know anybody. He knew somebody that knew somebody. That's kind of how it worked. Um, but Brendan Grahan really wanted to drill down as and get named individuals who are these people that you knew. So we, I, I, there's a lot to talk about, but there was an issue supposedly with Jonathan Dowdall's wife's father uh, and, and a whole thing there in relation to a drug debt, a, a significant drug debt that needed to be paid. Jonathan Dowdall was asked to intervene in that. Um, and then there was mention of a of, a, of an infamous crim, criminal who you would know of well, uh, Mick, that, and, and um, that would be Wacker Duffy. Declan Wacker Duffy was mentioned, and apparently there was an allegation that he was looking for money, and Dowdall was somehow going to get involved in all of this to try and resolve it. We might just br- briefly touch on who Wacker Duffy is. Wacker Duffy is from uh, I think from he's from Armagh. I think he's from Lurgan in County Armagh. At a very young age, he became involved. In a Republican grouping in the Troubles called the INLA, they're still active today, mostly really in criminality, but they were a very active paramilitary group in the, the 80s. And he was involved in the murder of an army recruiting, a British military recruit, might have been Naval Navy, uh, army recruiting officer in Leeds in, I think it was the 80s or maybe the early 90s now, uh, he, he he did his time under the Good Friday Agreement, and that's two years. And then he got out, and he was, he's, mm-hmm. he's been involved in criminality since, and he's locked up at the minute, isn't he? I believe he is, yeah. Uh, we could talk about him. We possibly do another pod on all these figures, but... Well, yeah, so, I, 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 you know, as the, the, the euphemism goes, he's well known to Gardy. And from what I understand, it, there, there was, a, it was a, a debt, a drugs debt of well over €100,000. He... Jerry, uh, he, uh, Dowdall says he spoke to Jerry Hutch and he got it brought down to, and Hutch, Jerry Hutch got it brought down to 85,000 but then Wacker Duffy who is a gangster effectively got involved and he was using the name of the INLA and from what I understand was it Dowdall went to meet somebody and, they, and he was told the INLA weren't involved in this and the issue went away so he was effectively trying to extort money off the, the person with the drugs debt yeah, that, that, that sums that up really. I mean, I, I don't propose to call this in length, but that really sums up exactly what we heard today. Um, the involvement, this this is a supposed uh, early involvement of Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdall together. And this is how Dowdall says he got to know uh, particular individuals. Uh, he spoke to, uh, we've heard this name already, Willie Gallagher, referred to as Fluff Gallagher, I think in the tapes. 
and that's how he got to know him and that was the person he met told him there was no drug debt and the whole thing was sort of resolved but brendan Graham still wasn't taking that for an answer how do you know all these republican figures um Dowdall, again, not answering the question, he just wanted to kind of say, I'm not a member of the IRA, I never was. I'm not a dissident, I'm not involved with any dissident Republicans. He's trying to clarify that he himself is not that. And again, later he did the same thing, uh, even when you know it was put to him that he was moved into the so-called Republican landing of Port Leash Prison, um, typically reserved for people who are in that world. He said that he wasn't in that world, that he wasn't a dissident, um, and he was ultimately booted off that landing uh, because uh, it had come out about his alleged involvement in the Regency. Um, again, like he was asked that question, you know, you were booted off the landing, denied that he was, but then went on to say that he was, that he was, he put it, what do I did? I was asked to leave the landing and I did. Um, so he has a slightly kind of uh, different explanation for literally everything that he's asked. Um, so I'll move on from Wacker Duffy, but we started to hear about Alan Ryan. Uh, and again, apparently this has come up before already on the tapes in relation to Alan Ryan, but we really drilled down as to why well, there was a supposed incident where real IRA boss Alan Ryan uh, arrived at Jonathan Dowdall's house uh, with a bunch of heavies, as Brandon Graham described them, and, and Dowdall acknowledged that at that point in time, yes, they would have been. Um, but he was asked, well, why were they there? Why were they at your house? You know, it's not every day that the real IRA makes a house call, he said. Um, but Dowdall wasn't willing to answer that question, and we didn't really kind of get to the answer as to really why they were there um but i, I don't know if you recall he- hearing that that's it's actually no i didn't and it's it's very interesting that that's for that's the the first i've heard of it um alan ryan was the dublin leader of the real ira and he was murdered in september 2012 now what's interesting about that is before that his gang or the, the his organization had been extorting criminals of hundreds of thousands of euro in the Dublin area they were going after drug dealers now obviously Dowdall's not a drug dealer I, it's interesting for me why they called to Dowdall's door was it for money was there an issue because we know that Ryan I mean you know he was shot dead because there were there was a couple of gangsters a, 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 a man called Mr Big who'd be in the frame for it you know they would not bow to his extortion demands but he did kill people uh, who who you know who were part of that that criminal world? He was he was going after them, and others were paying, and you know various people didn't. But I, I, that's just really interesting about them calling the Dowdall's door. Yeah, and Dowdall said he wasn't prepared to say uh, as to why that was. But uh, really, Brandon Grattan said, "No, I'm really just trying to get to you know your connection to that world and and where you fit in with all of these paramilitary figures." Um, you know. <sighs> Uh, we're now getting another third very uh, infamous figure brought into the mix and that was Pierce McCauley uh, this was raised with him you know did you know Pierce McCauley I said well I wasn't good friends with him but I did know Pierce did you visit him in prison he said I, I visited him I think it was twice maybe three times uh, things got very testy here uh, firstly just before that Jonathan Dowder was getting quite annoyed and said I feel as if you're putting me on trial here um you know so he was he was getting he was getting agitated at this point he's a witness in a case but he he said that he was starting to feel like he was the one on trial um we're talking about Pierce McCauley explain who Pierce McCauley is yeah well let's explain who Pierce McCauley is before I get into what was said yeah so in in June 1996 an IRA unit murdered detective guard Jerry McCabe in Limerick uh, in Adair in County Limerick and seriously injured his colleague Ben O'Sullivan they were on a security escort there were several uh, people after a long investigation there were several people charged with that murder but uh, in the special criminal court where we are where you were today but uh, it was later there was later they later pleaded guilty to manslaughter and Pierce McCauley was one of those people now he got out uh, because of the Good Friday Agreement like all other IRA most other IRA Republican prisoners I think there's still a couple in for you know capital murder um, but then he, he subjected his wife Sinn Féin counsellor and Kevin Pauline Tully now a TD to a hor- uh, horrific assault uh, an absolutely brutal assault Chris around Christmas uh, God it must have been 2015 maybe 2016 but it was a shocking really really bad assault 
and he's now doing well he was given a, a significant jail sentence for that but I think he has been released quite recently but he was you know it was a really brutal assault that he subjected her to and did he talk about his relationship with him? Yeah I thought this was fascinating because this really we went down a rabbit hole with this one because as I said Jonathan Dowdall claims he met him two three times minimising again this relationship by saying I wasn't good friends with him but we found out there was quite a interesting relationship here in that Brendan Grehan had a, a, a file he had a, an entire record of all of the times that Jonathan Dowdall visited Pierce McCauley and he listed out a number of these dates ultimately accounted up to 14 occasions uh, on a monthly basis from a period of time in late 2015 uh, sorry from a period of time I think it was early 2015 all the way through late 2015 uh, into early 2016 um, and Jonathan Dowdall kind of denied this uh, initially and, and, and took issue with it he insisted that he remembers only visiting him two or three times um, again he was accused of minimising here at this point the quote actually was minimising and when when these 14 times were put to him uh, John Dodell said well is that a crime? Is it a crime to visit somebody in prison? Uh, and, and Mr. Graham said no it's not a crime and now, now this surprised us but he accused uh well he said the things that were being said could possibly meant that Jonathan Dowdall was lying under oath um because he said well it's not a crime to visit somebody in prison it's a crime to lie on oath it's a crime to say you weren't friendly with him it's a crime to say you only visited him two or three times when you knew full well that that wasn't the truth mr dowdall he said it would be hard to confuse uh, but you were prepared you were prepared to say it. it would be hard to confuse visiting someone in prison two or three times with 14 times i mean that on the face of it does stretch credulity yeah and 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 that we left it uh, i think at a break there and we were all sort of whispering to each other you know i mean he'd really nailed down Jonathan Dell at this point accusing him of potentially lying under oath um it's extraordinary i don't know whether we're going to come back to that but very very interesting but once we came back from that break a doubtal um appeared to have like a bottle of Lucasade or something with him just to notice that so he was kind of keeping he was very energized I must say um but uh, he said look if your if your records show that I visited Pierce McCauley 14 times then I accept I visited Pierce McCauley 14 times but I don't really remember I don't really remember any of these occasions but I was put to him well if you don't remember um you know th- there are key moments in which you met Pierce McCauley he met Pierce McCauley two days after the murder of Gary Hutch so that was the 24th of September 2015 he went into Castlereagh prison I think it was and visited Pierce McCauley on the 26th um so what did you discuss with him what did you talk about you know clearly it was a key point in time as Dowdall's memory of what he talked about uh, with Pierce McCauley kind of came to him in this particular moment and he, he said that he had been asked uh, by Patsy Hutch to get involved uh, that there had been a, an attempt uh, on Patsy at a school uh, or there was talk of attempts on Patsy and innocent members of the Hutch family um, and I think he was he was explaining that he was coming to Pierce McCauley uh, looking for advice on maybe who he could go and contact and he was told he said by Pierce McCauley don't get involved Stay away from it. Don't get involved. We know he didn't take that advice because he very much did get involved. Uh, but but here was this uh, infamous figure, this convicted Garda killer, supposedly telling Jonathan Dowdall to to not get involved with the Hudges, to don't get involved with the feud. That was fascinating, I thought. I'm just confused about one thing. The, the attempt on Patsy's life at the school or outside the school, was that around September? Did you get that sense that it was around, you know, shortly after the murder of Gary, was it? Well, he said he was, he mentioned he discussed that with him, so maybe perhaps it was. I know that yesterday, I think we heard that that was sometime before Christmas. So yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know about this attempt. I don't think we've ever known about it, have we? No, no, because, no, because I always just, when we're talking about it yesterday, just listening to the evidence yesterday, I sort of got the impression that they were talking around it being around the time of the attempt on Gerard Hutch in Lanzarote, which was December 2015 into January 2016 so if if he's talking about it in September it obviously happened if that is the case then it happened you know, before that or around that time which is really interesting because you know the, the feud really blew up 
in in September 2015. Absolutely, but from Brendan Graham's point of view, this was a, a particular point in the trial where he was testing Jonathan Dowdall's memory. So Dowdall said he couldn't remember these 14 times, he couldn't remember particularly too much about it. Suddenly now he's remembering certain details in relation to it. But he said, you know, there are things that you do remember, very, very nice little details that you remember. Specifically, you were able to say the colour of the jacket that Jerry Hutch was wearing on the day that he met you in the park and made this alleged confession uh, to the murder of David Byrne. Um, and and Dowdall basically said, well, yeah, it was significant. It was an important day. That's why I remember it. And he said, Grattan kind of went for it then and said, well, what colour was the jacket? I think he kind of just wanted to kind of catch him there on the hop. What color was the jacket? And he said, oh, it was a waxy, dark colored thing, he said. Um, he said, that's not really a color. Um, so, you know, he said, oh, well, uh, you know, it's uh, it, was, it was dark green. Um, and, you know, Brandon Graham was like, are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't brown or black? And he said, no, I didn't say it was brown or black. So we moved on then from that, um, you know, but it, I just, it, it's an interesting exchange. There was a lot of back and forth between the two of them. It's like, a bit like a boxing match, you know. One says one thing, the other says the other. It was, it was just a fascinating exchange uh, to watch. We might talk about Mary Lou MacDonald here. I'm just trying to figure out a way to insert this into the narrative. But it, it's all about, you know, Dowdall wanted it clarified. He said this the other day, and again, he was being challenged on this. Why are you going... Um, out of your way to say that you weren't talking about provos, you weren't talking about the provisional IRA, that you were talking about dissidents. Um, and maybe you could set this up, Mick, just in terms of what was said about Mary Lou MacDonald previously. Just even from a journalistic point of view, what we have to do is we have to do contempor- what you call a contemporaneous report. So if somebody says something one day in a court, you say that. Now, we've got a bit of leeway, of leeway now, but if somebody says X is Y, you, re- you, you report that X said that that was Y. You know what I mean? So... That was my understanding. Is what he was talking about there was that was the reference to the bugged conversation when Mary Lou Macdonald came up. Now, in the in the the bugged conversation, which he which I'm sure we'll hear his context now. He's you know he criticised Mary Lou Macdonald for basically using the Hutch family for votes and money, and he said you know he criticised her for not going to the funeral of Eddie Hutch, Nettie Hutch, who was the brother of Edward uh, Jerry Hutch, who was shot dead three days after the agency. So you know Miss Macdonald. She came under, you know, she was asked about this and, she, you know, she, she denied it. And she did say, look, she can't really, she spoke to journalists up north and she said, look, you know, there's been excellent work by the Garda Shirkana in this case. I can't really say much because it's an ongoing case, but I absolutely deny that. So, you know, there was obviously a bit of political t- uh, pressure because it was in the ether for, for Miss McDonald. So it'd be interesting to see what he said now in relation to those comments that he made on the bugged conversation. Yeah, well, he said, look, I'm not involved in Sinn Féin, but I made a comment about Mary Lou, which was which he said was very unfair on a, on a personal level. Uh, what I what I did was being used to drag down a political party. And he said that that was very uh, unfair. He, he said he, that Sinn Féin are, are the most hated party. And he felt that what he had said uh, was being used, I suppose, as a tool to bring down uh, to criticise the Sinn Féin party in some way. And there was mention of a... A poll that was done in a national newspaper as well in relation to the Sinn Féin party and the provisional IRA and all of that and became a huge issue. Now, I found it interesting that he went out of his way to say all this because today, Jonathan Dowdall got irate and annoyed about the prospect of possibly going down the political route. He didn't want to talk about Sinn Féin and he was hoping that Brendan Grattan wouldn't start asking him about Sinn Féin and politics because he said he didn't really want to go there. But... He, I mean, he went there anyway. As I said, it's another issue where Jonathan Dowdall contradicted himself, I would say, in terms uh, or, or re-clarified things that he said. It's another thing, again, on the tapes that he's now explaining in a different context. So it's, it, it sounds very much like what part of the evidence we're seeing from Dowdall really at the minute is sort of stream of consciousness thing. You know, it's just wherever your mind takes you. He says one thing and then he maybe... He expands on it and clarifies it and perhaps contradicts and you know so is that you know I'm not, I'm not saying he's rambling but just maybe his his mind is racing so quickly that he's he says one thing and wants to clarify it a few seconds or a few minutes later that's exactly it you know and uh, even in that particular aspect you know he 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 said that he was doing the best he could uh he said i didn't have to be here but i'm here um you know and 
Mr. Grattan again put it to him, well, you're here because you got your murder charge dropped. That's actually the quote where uh, the prosecution counsel got up and, and said that's not very that's not very fair. Um, you know, look, in, in relation to the political stuff in the IRA, we spent a long time on it. But towards the end of things, that is really where it got interesting because it became apparent that Jonathan Dowdall had certain things he wanted to say because he was asked a question... Um, but he just went off on a tangent and Brendan Grattan kind of more or less just let him go ahead. And he said, look, uh, I'm in this position. Uh, it's my fault. I, I, I should have listened uh, to people and not got involved. I trusted Patsy Hutch. Um, there was years of things built up between them, a rapport, a good relationship. And he believed the story. We now know that he believes a different story, which is that the Hutches started the feud, not the Killens. This is now his version of events. I think he went at pains today to criticise the Hutches, I mean, and Jerry Hutch and, and Patsy Hutch. And he seems to have very much turned his relationship uh, um, against the Hutches completely. Uh, just uh, fascinating. Um, it's important to state this before I make this quote from Jonathan Dowdo. We've said it before, but Patsy Hutch is not before the courts. Uh, but Jonathan Dowdo said, look, if down the road I'm required to come back into this court again and give evidence against Patsy Hutch, I will do that. And then he said, I don't care if I get killed. Now, he said, no one's going to touch my children, but I don't care if I get killed. And then apart, I mean, as if that didn't blow us away enough, he then said, I'm not a rat. Read into that what you will, but he said, I'm not a rat. And again insisted this has nothing to do with me trying to get a murder charge dropped. He said, I fucked up in relation to Alex Hurley. So that's the torture, the waterboarding incident. Um, but he's here now. He's willing to come before the courts again. Uh, you know, and, and he very much referred to that threat to his life. He's very much aware of it. But he says, look, he doesn't care if he's killed. He's here to tell his story. And he's willing to do it again if anyone else uh, is brought before the court. So did you get the sense that he does believe the, that the, the threat against him is significant and real? Yes, uh, I, certainly. I mean, you could see the stress is written all over him. Um, but he apologised to the family of David Byrne for the things that were said on the tapes uh, and and for for things that, 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 that he has done. Um, I found that interesting that he inserted that here in this narrative, that he apologised directly to the family of David Byrne who were in the courtroom um, everything was negative about the Hutches, apologetic to the Byrne family for things that were said on the tapes, which he's now dismissing away completely. I think it was the very end of the day, but Jonathan Dowdall probably seemed aware that we were coming to the end of things, and he very much wanted to get those specific points across. I'll come before the court again if Patsy Hutch is here. I'll tell my story. I'll I'll act as a witness again. Uh, I don't care if I get killed, don't touch my children. Uh, and I'm sorry to the family of David Byrne for, for all those things I said on the tape. He wanted to get those points across. Right. One thing that interested me just listening to the, the various media coverage, he, would it be right that he basically said, look, things were going really great for me. I'm so, you know, I regret so much that I got involved. I had a great life. I had a great job and everything. And then all this hutch stuff started. Is that is that fair what he said? Is that is that an accurate reflection of his... Yeah, well, he said he left school age 14 and then went on and became an uh, um, apprentice electrician. And things went very well for him then. He had a successful business with his brother. Uh, he bought a house quite young with his wife. They sold that house uh, for more than it was worth. Um, he did have a car accident, but he got compensation from that that helped him pay for his very nice house on the Navin Road, uh, which was worth, I think, over €450,000 uh, mortgage. Um and he said he did admit that he was doing very well for himself. He'd renovated his garage and he had a big, big fancy pond, uh, fish pond out in his house. He had a great life and, and he was somebody that was respected probably within the community, a former councillor um, and, and had a lot of friends and was well known. Uh, now his life is effectively over and it's very clear from what he said. He's, my family are not going to be touched, but you know he accepts that there's a threat against his life. He's still waiting to go into the witness protection program, um, but he's very much aware and has said that his life is over. But I just the, the thought that came to me when he was saying, "Okay, look, you know, I regret getting involved in the whole Hutch thing, and I had a great life before that." You know, he had waterboarded a man, which is a very serious crime. But 
uh, you know, that hadn't been discovered. It was only discovered when, you know, the special detective unit and, you know, other guard units went into his house and then Avon Road and searched and found the, you know, the memory stick. So, you know, that's a bit debatable about, you know, what a great life and what a pillar of society was when he'd waterboarded a fella that nobody knew about. Yeah, and it's been put to him already, you know, that he's only willing to take responsibility for things when it's on tape and when it's recorded. Um because when he was on Joe Duffy's Liveline program, I mean, he never brought it up. Uh, he said he didn't think of it, but nobody knew about it then. It was all, it all came out later. Um, and, and now, you know, he's diminishing his responsibility for what was said on these tapes with Jerry Hutch. So he clearly lived a uh, double life to a degree. Um, certain things, Certain things were happening in the background that he didn't let everybody else know about. He, he, just interesting, he, he was keen to say that he's not a rat. Very keen to say that, yeah. It had been said yesterday, I didn't get to mention it yesterday, but there was an incident in prison where someone called him uh, Doubt All the Rat or something like that. Um, he mentioned that, and that was a, a point of contention for him because this person went on and supposedly made a complaint about him, he says was investigated by the Guardian, there was nothing to it, but he said this person called him a rat in prison. Plenty of people, obviously, in the gangland world uh, think he has broken the rule of Amerta by speaking um you know something that is considered uh, the worst possible thing you can do go to the guardie uh, and and spill your guts whether he's telling the truth or not um in the world of gangland he is considered to be uh, a, they see him that way they see him as a rat so was there much left paul you know i propose to leave it there because i think that was the bombshell evidence that came at the end uh, where you know saying uh, that he that that he that he wasn't a rat, uh, and just saying he was prepared to be killed, or he sorry, not that he was prepared to be killed, but he he knew of the threat, uh, and and you know he didn't care uh, if he was killed, just just hopes that his family isn't touched. Just some housekeeping: was anything said at the end about it? There's obviously going to be more cross-examining tomorrow. Was there any indication of is it would it be over tomorrow, or you know did the Mister Grehan say anything or? No, there's no indication at all. It could end tomorrow. It could go into next week. For all I know, uh, certainly he's taking Mr. Gretton is taking his time with John Dundell. Uh He has a lot to challenge him on. I think today he was harder on him than he was yesterday. I mean, he really, really pressed him today, uh, and and you know nailed him down on a couple of things. And as I said, even accused him uh, of potentially maybe lying under oath. So uh, God knows what he's going to do with him tomorrow. But uh, it'll be fascinating to watch. And I just had a look. Because people were asking me the the legal term, I think it ends on the twenty first, which is Wednesday. So there's a pause for Christmas. So we've still got, you know, five five days really. So who knows what'll happen then? But Paul, as ever, that's really great stuff. And thanks very much. And thanks everybody for listening. And I would anticipate we'll be having another one tomorrow because there'll be more uh, evidence from the case. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you.